0: It's great for you to be able to be here this afternoon. Great to see you. Um, We're working through this series. Um, It's really a kind of the next stage on from something we looked at some time ago when we looked at the life of Abraham, and now we're building on that, looking at the life of the sons of the Father. So if we just take a quick moment and say, right, we start in, in Genesis... Uh, We we have the initial part of the Bible where we see God's uh, creation power, we see God's God's patience, and yet God's judgment in the flood, and then we see God engaging again with humanity in Abraham. And uh, Abraham is like a moment, really, although there are hints at the fact that there has always been a people who have been faithful to God, yet Abraham becomes the At which God really starts once again to engage with people. Uh, And then we see, well, how is that going to work out? Abraham's son is Isaac, Isaac's Isaac's son is Jacob. So the sons of the father were looking at this series through uh, these two men, Isaac and Jacob. I guess we could call Isaac to some extent uh, a transition. He's like a turning point, really, as Isaac. Uh, He's, relatively speaking, um, a a small piece, and yet he is an essential piece in the storyline. And we come to this particular section, uh, and it might seem as though uh, we're jumping in partway through uh, a narrative, a storyline of the Bible, as we read earlier on. That's because we are jumping in partway through. If we had read the whole of the chapter, which is, I think it's around about, what, 70 Uh, 59, uh, 59, 67 verses, close to 70 verses. It would have taken a long time, but really it's a fascinating little section. Uh, And the narrator of this particular story is willing to take us on this slow journey as he describes what happens as Abraham sends off his servant uh, to find uh, a wife, for his son. Let's just take our minds back to last week. Abraham has been sent to a particular location by God. He's been taken away from his home environment, from his historical heritage, the land in which his family lived. He's been taken, and by faith, he's made that decision to believe in God and to say, I will make that step, leave that context, and I'll go and live in what is uh, land outside of my heritage. And yet at the same time, it's the land that God has said, I promise that this land will be given to you and to your offspring. Now, Abraham at that point is uh, wondering, well, what's going to happen with offspring? We saw in the story of Abraham how he does all sorts of things to create for himself an offspring. Uh, And in actual fact, it's God who intervenes. And uh, Abraham and Sarah have... Isaac remarkably and amazingly. And now here we've got this old man, Abraham, who sends his servant off and says, go back to my, con- my country, uh, my heritage, my family, and find a wife for Isaac. It's a huge undertaking. It's a TV series. Um, and you probably some of you might have seen it. Escape to the Country. It's kind of uh, that big sort of, you know, we've got, I don't know, somebody who's living in some cosmopolitan city and we're selling this property and we've got £750,000 to spend on this two properties in the country and all this wacky stuff. And uh, we're going to buy this kind of ideal location in the country. We're going to leave our heritage, we're going to leave everything that we've been connected to, and we're moving out to this, a whole new place, this new world that perhaps we've, some haven't experienced before. I guess for our story as it unfolds, that was to some extent the experience for Rebecca, and the storyline takes us on this journey as it asks the question repeatedly, is Rebecca going to take that step and leave this location and move to this country. And that's precisely what the narrator is aiming to do with us. He's wanting to take us on this journey of asking the question. Is she going to? So it starts off with Abraham saying God will go before you, and, and uh, he'll prepare somebody for you to find, and then he asks the question, but what if she doesn't come? What if she doesn't leave? Well, you'll be free of this oath. And you're left with that kind of brilliant narrating question at the beginning of the chapter, is she or isn't she going to leave and go and travel back? And then we have, um, as we saw last week, we um, in fact we we see it uh, clearly, more clearly here. We saw the beginning of it last week. The servant has the same faith of, as Abraham, as he goes and he um, looks for this woman. Now, in a sense, what we see from verse 34 through to verse 60, a significant part of it, is a repeat of what we see going on in the early part of the chapter. That's why it's great to be able to just break in, as I mentioned earlier. Because what the, um, what the servant is repeating here is what we could have read earlier on in the chapter. So, if we look at verse 34, he said, the servant, Abraham's servant, he said to who? Well, he's speaking to this young woman, Rebecca's Father and brother, so he has. T- she's taken uh, this servant and probably the entourage back to their their home, and has introduced this servant to uh, her brother and father. And the story unfolds. Firstly, the servant gives uh, uh, he introduces himself. He tells uh, Laban and Bethuel who he is. He tells them the success of uh, his, uh, his uh, boss, Abraham, how he's been blessed with amazing uh, amounts of cattle and gold and all of that kind of thing. And then he says how he has been sent on this journey to find this woman. And that, how, did he, how did you do it? Well, it worked like this. I, I was wondering, how do I know how to find this. So I prayed. Just prayed. I've been faithful, Lord, in coming to this point. And I'm praying now that um, you'll direct me to the right person. That's what I'm about. I'm believing that if you've brought me here and if as my, uh, my, uh, fa- my father, in boss terms, Abraham has said the, the angel of the Lord will go before you, if I believe that, I believe that you're in the next step, so I'm praying to you. I'm going to go to this well, and I'm praying that when I see a young woman come to the well, and if I say to her, can I have a drink, if if she ignores me, which probably culturally would have been more likely to some extent, uh, but if she responds by not only giving me a drink, but then offering to uh, water my camels as well, then i 'll know that you 're directing me to this woman that's he recounts the story. so I went, and in verse th- uh, forty three so i 'm standing beside this spring. if a young woman comes out to draw water and I say to her, "Please let me drink a little water from your jar." Uh, drink and I'll draw the water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. So he's, he's, he's just, he hasn't got any plan other than to trust in God that God will direct him to the right person. It's some, it's some kind of uh, marriage offer, this one, isn't it? This guy at a well says, can I have a drink? So he sits there and this woman comes along, young woman comes along with a jar of water. Can I have a drink? She lowered a jar down from her shoulder and said, drink and I'll water your camels too. So I drank and she watered the camels also. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? I I don't know what the emotion of the guy at that moment in time was like. He's been sent on a task, hasn't he? And it's a really specific task, go. It's not just a case of the woman who says, I'll water your camels as well as giving you a drink. That's, it's not the case that that's the woman. There's something else that Abraham has already defined as a requirement. He said, I want you to go and I want you to find a wife from my family, from my wider family, from my Heritage, if you like. So I I guess he drinks the water. The camels are drinking the water as well. And he he asks the question. You know, the kind of really casual question. But filled with kind of beating heart anticipation. What is the answer going to be? I love the way the narrator just builds up the story. Because all of this has already been said. He is recounting it almost word for word as it happened. I asked, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. I was just like, what? Really? What's his response? What's his response at that moment in time? I, for this guy at this moment all of the lines converge. What Abraham has said go and do this. This moment where he's, he's prayed to God Abraham didn't say go to a well and pray. He didn't say that. He's just turned up and said how do I find the right woman? I'm just going to pray. God just guide me. But It's not just the woman who gives him water, nor is it, it's both, that collide together at this moment in time. And his response is entirely appropriate. Because his response is not to say, yeah, nailed it, found her. His response is to worship God. It's like, that's it. It... Do you see what the narrator is wanting us to see at this moment in time? He's wanting to see what is going on in the thoughts of those individuals. Because the the servant is recounting here the story. This is what I did. Then I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm and I bowed down and I worshipped the Lord. I wonder what Rebecca thought. She's just been asked, can I have a drink? Yeah, I'll water your camels as well. And next thing, she's having gifts poured out on her. And this guy is worshipping God. (laughs) This is not a normal well encounter. This is mind-blowing. And that's the point that the narrator is wanting us to see. And what's more, the servant is recounting his worship of God as an essential part of the storyline. You see the way he says to uh, Bethuel and Laban, this is what I did, I worshipped God. I was so amazed and in awe at what has happened, I worshipped God, that is an essential, integral part of the storyline. That's great, isn't it? Great story, amazing, turn of events, situations coming together. But you know, when all's said and done, we're living in 21st century Castleford, which has absolutely no connection to this story, does it? Or does it? Let's ask that in a slightly different way. Why is this story, this narrative over 60-odd verses of a servant travelling a huge distance asking about a drink of water and then being taken back to an encampment for a whole other recounting of the story? Why is this part of our Bible? That's a key question, isn't it? Why has God determined that for you and me today, it is essential that we know this story? I think there's a few things that are really important to us. The first is that we understand something significant when we see that this is a second Calling. Abraham's confidence was in God's purpose. In chapter 24, verse 7, he recounts chapter 12, verse 7. Chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 20, chapter 24, verse 7 says this. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, to your offspring, I will give you this land. There's the thing. That's Abraham's confidence, foundation, was in the promise of God. But he was called from one place To go and establish a nation in another place. The outcome of this story is that exactly the same thing happens for Rebecca. Exactly the same thing happens. Rebecca is called from her family, which is the same extended family as Abraham, to leave that place and to go and to be in this land. Do you see the pattern that God is establishing? He's established it first with Abraham and he said, now let me just re-establish this again. Let me see that there is something significant about leaving one place and establishing something in a new place. And, And that is that you need to hear me speaking and guiding you and shaping you. But the other interesting thing in that, even though there is two callings out to this place, they hear it in very different ways. Isn't that interesting? The end result is the same. Two people end up leaving that place where they originally were uh, and traveling and now living in Canaan. Abraham and Rebecca. How does Abraham get there? Because he has that vision from God, that word from God that says, you've got to move. You've got to go from there. How does Rebecca make the journey? Because she sees the events that happen in life and she understands how prayer has intervened and caused. A situation to be clear in her mind that God is guiding her in a particular way. Let me just challenge you uh, in our thinking, therefore. How does this relate to us today? We make so many decisions, don't we? Decisions that we're making day by day. Some of those decisions are big. Some of those decisions are small. Some of those decisions are life-changing significant. Others decisions uh, don't seem life-changing significant at the time. But when we look back, we realize that they are massively life-changing decisions. How do we come to those decisions? Sometimes, if we are living a relationship which is understanding that we live life before God, as people who are those uh, those individuals who the Holy Spirit dwells within, we have that clear sense of God speaking to us. The foundation of that is that God has already spoken to us in the Bible. So we pick up this and we say, "If is what I'm doing just... Is this decision that I'm faced with, is it just completely out of bounds with that? So there are guidelines, there's a sense of who and what we are. And then there is that deeper sense of that, just no. It's got, there's this perspective in which I know that God is speaking to me. God is God is directing me. In a sense, not quite as dramatic, but in a sense like, Like Abraham, it's just that sense of God speaking. It might be that we make the decisions like Rebecca. We make other decisions just like Rebecca. We kind of just watch a situation as it unfolds. We see the way different situations emerge and the way... Different people relate a particular perspective, and we, see, we just say, So what? I, I can see that God, God's, God's moving here. Because we are faced day to day, aren't we? Day to day, with making so many decisions in life. What this chapter is encouraging us to do today is to realize that we live our lives before God. So how do you make your decisions? How do you make those big decisions in life, those little decisions in life? Is it a Godward-facing series of decision-making processes that take place? The means, the mechanisms of how that goes on can be in the ordinary Like Rebecca, well, kind of ordinary, apart from that, it's not very often that you uh, give somebody a drink of water and then the next thing there's a ring on your nose. But apart from that, it was ordinary, wasn't it? There wasn't a kind of vision from God that came on Rebecca, there wasn't that deep seated, heart moving vision of God speaking. It was just, this is just unfolding. But both of them are expressing lives which are open and attuned to God being the author of their lives. The New Testament puts it like this. Jesus is my Lord. (laughs) It's another way of describing exactly the same thing. It's I will live my life day to day as though Jesus is my Lord. My decisions, my my the things that I decide to do, the things that I'm thinking about, the things that I'm shaping my life according to, are not shaped according to my decisions, but are shaped according to God's direction in my life. You know, I I. I There are times when it's big things, there are times when it's little things. Many of you know that my background is a background of business, business management. If you knew me back then, you'd have known just how much I loved it. I absolutely loved business, the business life. I I just thrived on it, it was just part of what was, in, in a lot of ways, it was my kind of almost my identity in lots of ways. It was just, it filled me with satisfaction. I never thought I would ever either have to or be able to let go of that. (laughs) And yet when God speaks, when God gets a grip on our lives, when He changes our hearts and our affections, extraordinary things happen. Not always comfortable things, not always comfortable things, but they are right things. So I guess this chapter straight away says to you and me today, how do we live in our lives? Are we living our lives in that way or are we living our lives driven by our own inclinations and our own goals? Is it my goals and objectives? Or is it God's? So this second calling introduces that aspect to us. But it also introduces this second aspect and and really the, the, the way the narrator puts it together is breathtaking really. Because what he wants us to understand fundamentally and ultimately is that God is the director of this scene. That's the thing. So here's this guy who rocks up at a well and says, can I have a drink of water? And the woman who he speaks to is precisely the one that Abraham at the beginning of the chapter has said, God will send his angel ahead of you and will prepare somebody who comes to that place. So it's like this, connections all find residence in this one conversation. And overarching that is this storyline which the narrator is trying to impress upon us. God is directing this scene. It's God who is behind it. God who's working it out. How does our life work? Here's the thing. We can have two views. We can, well, they're two distinct views, but we can split one of them up into a couple of views. One, we can kind of think it's a whole load of chance. Just kind of random events which are just going on. You know, the more I speak to people, there are, there are fewer and fewer people who I speak to today who feel comfortable with the idea that life is just a series of random events. If we are products of a a chemical event alone, a freak event, then that's what it boils down to. We live our lives as a series of accidental events. But there are more and more people who are dissatisfied with that idea. More and more people who are convinced there has to be more. I I have many conversations with people who have no faith whatsoever, and yet they say to me, I believe that things happen for a purpose. Isn't it interesting? We have that written into our thinking, this can't be chance. There's two ways of looking at it. It's either a freak set of events that are just chance events, or there's something going on, there's, you know, some sort of destiny, or We can have a biblical view, which is what the Bible is unfolding for us from beginning to end, which is this world has an author behind it, an author which sits with this strange, mysterious connection between our freedom to make decisions and yet His sovereign will. And I can't get my head around that, and that's what makes God, God. That's what makes him God rather than me God. Because if I could get my head around that, I'd be God. I can't. He can. But that's what Abraham alludes to because he says, when the servant asks, What if this woman won't come? Well, you're free from the oath. But Abraham has already said, But the servant of God is going to send his angel ahead to prepare the place. How do you hold those two together? Because Abraham has preparing for us, introducing to us the idea that the God of the Bible is a God of the author of all of history. Paul says it like this, Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, all things work together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. In other words, what what all things? All the things that happen in my life, all the things that happen in my life are for my good. Uh, Paul's view is way more expansive than that. He's saying all things work together for good. I don't understand that tapestry of history. I can't even begin to compute the events that have happened in my life, let alone your life multiplied by however many people are in this room and the complex interconnectedness of all of that. But many of us can attest to this. I look back. And I see, do you know what? There's something going on in my life. Something going on. This has happened, this has happened. It's beyond explanation, but I'm here. Maybe that's your experience this afternoon. I can't get my head around it, but I'm here. And I know that there's something more. Let me give you an indication of what it is. Laban and Bethuel... Speak for us. Verse 49 says this. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, this is the servant recounting what he said to Rebekah, tell me and if not, tell me so that I may know which way to turn. They're recounting now He's now speaking to Laban and Bethuel. What's going to happen? I've told you how it's all worked out. Will you will you be kind towards my master Abraham in the request for the hand of Rebecca, as Isaac's son. Laban and Bethuel answered. This is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or the other. Here is Rebecca. Take her and go, and let her become the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has directed. They introduce for us. This is how it works. This is of the Lord. God's behind this, to put it in our kind of way of describing it. God's behind this. Situation that you're in, God's behind it. If you are on that journey, either of coming to know God in faith, if you've been on that journey for some time, some short time or some long time, Laban and Bethuel speak to us today about the situations that we are in now. God is behind it. Why are you here and not somewhere else? Because God is behind it. Why are you in your particular life situation today when I connect it with what Paul says about God's will is for our good. Why are you here today? Because God is behind it. You know, there is a tremendous liberation that comes from understanding that. It's liberating. I can rest. Because if you are continually trying to work out how to negotiate life, how to do the right thing, and your own strength, it is number one, exhausting, it's terrifying, and it is ultimately dissatisfying. Because you'll never feel as if you've got it right. But when you realize God is behind it, He's bringing me to this point for me to say, are you going to do it? Are you Are going to trust in me now? That's what this chapter is about. Are you going to trust in me? You're going to believe that I'm the one who's behind these events in life. It's interesting, although we see here that Rebecca is given by Bethuel and Laban, they then bring her in and ask, do you want to go? It's amazing, actually, in cultural terms, that's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing. She's not a, a, a possession, it would seem, in this particular situation. Although that would probably have been the cultural norm. She's not a possession. Do you want to go? Here's the thing. Let's bring her in. Find out what she wants to do. You see, what had gone on in the lives of Bethuel and Laban in seeing God is behind it has also gone on in the heart of Rebecca, who said, I get it. God's behind it. I'm going. I'm terrified probably In human terms, because I'm a young woman going off to a strange land to marry a guy that I've never seen. Not the way we do things today, but the reality is I trust in this God more than I trust my father or my brother or even this servant. It's God that I'm trusting. Sometimes we're called to do that kind of thing. Really scary stuff. but it's God that we trust, ultimately. So we see a second calling, we see a great director, but thirdly, is that just it, is that it? Is that what it's all about, just getting Isaac married? You know, every great narrator, great storyteller, takes us on a journey. They take us on a journey, don't they? You probably get this, maybe you're watching... um, Watching one of the kind of hit TV series, Are you into, um, some of you will be into 24, uh, I'm sure. And at the end of 24, every series, I've never seen one, so but I'm sure at the end of every series, it's like kind of like on a cliffhanger. I've started Prison Break, by the way. I'm so behind the times. But, you know, it's kind of, to be honest, it's getting a little bit. Not another, you know. Just, it, it seems an impossible, but you know I know you'll get out of it in the next series. But every great narrator tell, takes us on a journey, doesn't they? Takes us sow seeds back there that come to fruition, fruition way in the future. What we see in the response of well, what happens? They go and they uh, they say uh, verse. Let's see where we're at. Verse 57. Then they say, let's call the young woman and ask her about it. So they called Rebecca and asked her, will you go with this man? I'll go. So they sent their sister Rebecca on her way along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his man. They blessed Rebecca. They said to her, our sister, may you increase... To thousands upon thousands, may your offspring possess the cities of your enemies. You know, they wouldn't have even understood what they were saying at that moment in time. They were just sending her off. And like every other young woman who was going off to set up a new life there, in that culture, security is found in kind of the hope of becoming a people, having plenty of people around you, a bit of security... But what they are saying is mind-blowing. Because what they are actually saying in prophetic terms, sowing a seed right back there, is what you and I are today. We are the offspring. Because what we are talking about is that great author, that great narrator who is saying, I will redeem a people, a kingdom, a nation to belong to me who will be my people and I will be their loving, benevolent king. I will be their king. I will be there for them. And they send her off. With words sprinkled into the narrative that prepares us for Jesus. The creator of a great people, the one who is the elder brother of a great nation. Because what God is about in this narrative apart from us learning how to live our lives, is this story that says, I'm going to take you on a journey that ultimately results in my son. And just so you know you're on that journey, I'll sprinkle gold dust along the way. Follow the trace. Follow the little steps. And send you off, Rebecca. may our sister increase. Thousands upon thousands. It was just, in human terms, probably an impossible idea. But in God's terms, it's absolutely. In fact, it says at the end of the Bible, at Revelation, it says that it's thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, and a countless myriad of people who God has borne through this journey of salvation.